Hello and welcome to Cruising for a Reviewsin, the podcast where I get a friend to watch a Tom Cruise movie they have never seen before and then review it with me. I'm your host, Cara Westworth, and today I'm joined by Maria. Hi. Hi, Maria. How are you going? I'm good. I'm good. Lovely to be here. One of my favorite subjects. <laughs> Hell yeah. So this is going to be quite different to the normal format, which, you know, if you listen to this podcast more than one episode, you know that usually the guest has not seen the movie before, mm. which is not the case this time. I have seen every Tom Cruise movie, so it makes it tricky. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really fucking hard to find a movie that you hadn't done. Mm. And I'm like, oh, fuck it. It's my podcast. I can, I have done this before with another guest where we reviewed a movie they had seen. It's fine. I can do what I want. But also, we're not going to go super in-depth into the movie plot, just for time reasons, and also because this movie is quite convoluted. I mean, you can sum it up with, like, spy action shit, pow, 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 pow. And then you're like, cool, got it. Awesome, let's keep yeah. moving. <laughs> so we're going to we're gonna breeze through a lot of it, and then we're going to mostly spend a bit of time debating why one of us likes this movie and one of us <laughs> doesn't. Basically, we're doing Jack Reacher Never Go Back, so we're following up Jack Reacher that we reviewed last week and we're backing it up immediately. Now, Maria famously hates this movie. Hate it. And I famously <laughs> hate the first movie. And I love the first movie. The first movie is legit one of my favourite Tom Cruise films ever. It's like truly a, a masterpiece in my mind. My mate Andrew, who reviewed War of the Worlds with me and had, and had seen that movie, is a massive Tom Cruise fan and he feels mm. the exact same way as you. Mm. And I don't fucking understand it. I, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I'm a bad Tom Tom Cruise fan because I feel the opposite. No, I don't know. that's subjective, baby. Like, you know, you, you're literally, I like that you're like, oh, I didn't like one film, so maybe I'm a bad Tom Cruise fan on your Tom Cruise-themed podcast that's, you know, <laughs> fuck knows how many episodes in. But I feel like, I feel like I'm missing something. I'm, like, if, if all these big Tom Cruise fans love this movie, then I'm like, I'm missing something. And I've watched mm. it a lot, and I don't know. Before we go into all that, we'll quickly go over what happens in Jack Reach and Never Go Back. Uh, this is a rare exception to the case where you should probably watch this movie so you can follow along with this podcast. Usually you don't really need to because we talk about it so in depth, but yeah, see how you go. Just quickly, the cast is obviously Tom Cruise's Jack Reacher again. Uh, there's a major Susan Turner played by Kobe Smulders, who you might know from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Speaking and- of Maria's, that's a Maria. Yeah, baby. Maria who? <laughs> Uh, we also have Samantha, who's played by Danica Yarosh, uh, a character called The Hunter, who's played by Patrick Hoisinger, Espen, who is Aldous Hodge, and the other one I wrote down is Colonel Morgan, who is Holt McCallany. Who we love, love Yeah, him. from Mindhunter. Like, yeah. I've never enjoyed a character as much as him on Mindhunter, and I don't know why. He reminds me of the try-and-save guy from The Simpsons, the security <laughs> guard. I don't know. He's just got that very wholesome energy that I really like about him. Yeah, and based on a real person. So it's like, it's truly, it's giving. Okay, so this is directed by Edward Zwick, who also did, what the hell is that movie? Last Samurai. Last one of Samurai. my favorite Tom Cruise movies. <laughs> They've worked together before, and I really love that movie. And this one's fine. Like, I say that I like, I love this one compared to the other one, but I mean, that bar is really fucking low. So this movie opens, I will get into the opening bit because I think it sums up the movie, the whole Jack Reacher thing you know the books and everything as well really well where it opens on there's been a fist fight and there's all these guys like knocked out cold or writhing around in the dirt and all the spectators are like oh my god the guy who did it's in there in the diner and it's Jack Reacher just sitting in there a little bit roughed up Uh, there's some sheriffs go up to him and they're like gonna arrest him and he's like that phone's gonna ring in two minutes and when it does you're in big trouble I don't know I I hate that shit so much like this is uh, this is what I think I hate about Jack Reacher is he just goes around bashing people up and then everyone's like like, no, nah, it's fine. Jack Reacher knows what he's doing. And I 
hate it. I, I, I said, well, I'll never read the books because that shit pisses me off so much. That's not justice. That's just bashing people up and getting away with it. Just being a white man in a white man world, I guess. Oh, that's military shit. You know, it's like really entrenched in the character is that sort of sense yeah. of entitlement and not so much sense of entitlement, but the whole idea is black and white justice, which was like kind of one of the things Christopher Macquarie like quite cleverly explored in the first one and not so much in this particular instance. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. I have a feeling that you're going to make me look back at that movie and go, oh, now I see what they were doing that for. Instead of me just being like, yuck, why they do that? Stupid. <laughs> anyway. This is the trouble so- with getting a fucking screenwriter on the show. I'm like, yes, but have you considered? <laughs> and I love Christian McQuarrie, obviously, because Mission Impossible Fallout, Fallout mm. is one of the greatest movies ever made. Um, and I love a lot of things that Christian McQuarrie has done. So this movie felt, basically follows Jack Reacher, who meets up with Major Susan Turner, who has a, he's a little crush on, is going to go take out to dinner, but she has been arrested for, is it, what's the word? Espionage. Mm. So they reckon that she had some people over in Afghanistan doing some dodgy shit, and then she was selling selling their secrets, and they've chucked her in jail. But what we find out pretty quickly, oh, is it quickly? Yeah, it is pretty quickly. A lot happens in like 20 minutes. When I was running all the notes down I'm like mm. oh my god 20 minutes are fast so she's been falsely accused basically some big military contractor who deal sells weapons to the US lost always about a, bunch a military of- contractor always, <laughs> always always every time <laughs> both movies is military like something to do with military yeah. contractors yeah fucking up because they are doing dodgy shit, black market stuff, in fact, over there. And she must have sussed it out somehow. They are like, uh-oh, we need to cover this up in the most elaborate, silly way possible. That's where this guy called the Hunter is. He's like an assassin, a former Marine or something. He's an assassin who's chasing after everyone the whole time. Kind of like one of those horror movie villains. He's just always sort of following them slowly and they keep running around t- trying to get away from him. Jack goes to meet Kobe Smolder's character, uh, Susan Turner. Finds out she's in jail, wigs out, and... He he is chucked into the same jail as her. I think oh, the the lawyer gets killed or something. So her lawyer gets killed after talking to Jack Reacher by the hunter and he frames it so that Jack Reacher gets accused of it and gets chucked into jail, which is very convenient because he is then able to bust her out of jail really quickly and efficiently. So yeah, he busts her out of jail and they basically go on the run. So this movie, in contrast to the first Jack Reacher, actually has a lot of running. Oh my God. I, the like, first movie has none. Seriously, the the scene, it, like there's so many things that I hate about this movie, but in particular, one of the things that I strongly dislike, the transitions or lack thereof between scenes. And one of the the most visceral memories I had from seeing this film in the theater was this hard cut of a scene. So they're like, there's like a conversation and then they hard cut to Colby Smulders and Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise running across a fucking lawn in the middle of the day. (laughs) And they're not running from anything. You know what I mean? Like they obviously need to get somewhere quickly, but it's literally like, fuck, we really need a running shot. You know what? We'll just put it here. And so they're doing the full like karate air chopping wind sprinting across the middle of a park could not be more conspicuous if you tried and I just remember like being absolutely sort of delighted horrified with that scene because I was like oh man they would never do this in the first one and then the second one is I think they're at an internet cafe they're either coming from yeah, they, or to an internet they're cafe. going to an internet cafe 
Which is how I quickly. (laughs) Yeah, that's how I run to an internet cafe. Is like, okay, we're trying to be low key. We don't want anyone to notice us. Like, let's just keep it chill by sprinting in broad daylight, full speed, (laughs) Usain Bolt style in military uniforms towards an internet cafe. Cool, 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 cool. (laughs) Also, this movie was made in 2016. Like, an internet cafe, really? Because do they still look? Maybe in America they do. I don't know. Well, it's also about like context as well. Like, in a lot of lower socioeconomic areas, there are a high population of internet cafes, right? Because owning a a, like a personal computer is an, not just an expense but like a privilege but in Egypt they're literally everywhere like you fucking can't throw a rock and hit into that cafe there's so many of them but this is not where they are <laughs> so the fact yeah. that it's just like what well, you know whatever semantics who cares but still it was just yeah tickled tickled me so one of the things uh, that comes up during his trying to find out what the hell's going on with Susan Turner is he is told that he maybe has a child so basically a woman that he's has apparently had liaisons with has gotten pregnant and had his child yeah. <laughs> liaisons they so, fucked he blew her back out and like fucking <laughs> did a huge big dirty cum in her pussy and had a child it like comes let's be in specific. her pussy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> alright we're gonna be that <laughs> I say like I'm not the most lowbrow person so he knocked her up, apparently. She's filed for paternity. He was completely unaware of this, but there's a file and he, like, sl- sleight of hand nicks the photo of her to be remembered for later. So, yeah, they're on the run. They go to see Colonel Morgan, who is, like, the replacement for Turner, and they confront him. They think he's in on it. And by them going there, the hunter comes not long after and is like, Jack Ray, she touched his phone. He's like, yes, why? And then bashes him to death with the phone. So constantly trying to accuse Jack Ray of doing awful shit and getting away with us. I mean, that was the whole thing of the first movie is like, this girl's been knocked out cold, uh, knocked mm. out dead with one mm. bad punch. Who else could it be? And Jack Ridge is like, me, I'm the strongest man in the world. <laughs> I do love that. I, I love that scene. It's so fucked. Poor Sandy. Like, oh God, I think about her all the time. Hope she, well, I mean, she's dead, but I hope that yeah. actress as well. <laughs> He's like, leave town. And she and I'm like, why would you leave? Why? Some fucking asshole who terminates your work tells you maybe you should leave town. You're not going to. But also, please leave town. You're going to get punched in the head no, so hard 100%. that you die. I'd, I'd go. I'd, well, not that she died instantly. It's like it's the smothering yeah. afterwards that really like sealed the casket. But um, I don't know. He was convincing. I'd leave. She was wrapped up in all sorts of shit. That pub scene was ugly. I'd be like, yeah, actually, you know what? I am going to dip. That's a great idea. Thank you. I'm going to go to Disney World for like two days. See how I go. Yeah. Just like. Go and vacay and then come back, see who's still alive and then assess from there. You would have had Werner Herzog out here like trying to get people to bite their fingers off and you could just have avoided that whole situation. (laughs) Exactly. Poor Sandy. If only she knew. Poor Sandy. There's so much fucking happens in this movie, but also not a lot. Like a lot of needless detail that's quite boring. Bit of running, which is pretty fun. The reason why we're alerted to the potential daughter situation is because she's wrangled into it. They're like, well, we now know that she, he might be has a daughter so we're gonna go get her to get Jack Reacher which she does and Jack Reacher being who he is is like I don't know if she's my daughter but I'm gonna save her life anyway so that introduces the character of Samantha um what what did you think of the character of Samantha didn't love it and I particularly didn't love it because it felt like I think when you have a really deep bank of source material like they do with these novels right there's 
Oh, this over 30, I think. And they have been going on for a really long time, right? So you have lots of source material to pull on. So my mm. frustration with the daughter B slash C plot is I felt like you really already covered that in the first film. They really do a good job of sort of threading in all these little moments that he has and the way he interacts with women. So like, for instance, when he calls Sandy a massive slut in the bar, <laughs> which is just Fuck, like, I hate that bit so much. oh my God, the delivery, everything think it's just crazy but so you're like oh okay but then in the context of the conversation like the conversation afterwards it's like he had clearly clocked her understood the sitch blah 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 and he's saying some wild shit to try and get a reaction and basically like act as a catalyst to move whatever confrontation is going to happen forward faster anyway yes. but the fact that he spends time after that and this woman who's helped put him in jail to go and warn her and be like get the fuck out of the town are you insane and then that there is genuine like when he pulls up and he sees the cops and stuff that there is genuine regret and also the just the the way he sort of handles the rosamund pike situation they kind of already tapped into what i call wolverining which is like in x-men comics and then x-men the animated series in the 90s in particular there was this thing was just like wolverines just like fucking loves a teenage runaway like just adopting girls who aren't his daughters just left right you know <laughs> there's so like there's literally like a dozen sort of like rat bag teenage girls who Wolverine becomes like their surrogate father in one way or the other but it's uh, this plot device that gets used a lot in the context of those stories so they kind of did that with Jack Reacher and I'm like that's fine you needed a thing to show that he has empathy and you know isn't like a testosterone dickhead even though that's like kind of exactly what he is right but it's like to sort of sand off those edges anyway you already did that in the first film so when they add all this stuff it felt like a shitter version of what they had Mm. already done with that and all also the sort of like traction towards using a women but be innocent women or like young women who can't physically protect themselves as a plot device to humanize otherwise unsympathetic characters is like a, a gripe of mine I guess you could say especially when they'd already done it so I'm just like well let's just fucking keep it moving I don't need him to have a maybe not daughter to be like oh he's mm. a person yep. there's, there's so many other cool things they could have drawn on and touched on and so I was just like this felt super unnecessary to me. Well, even Christopher McCrory, because he, I believe, wrote the screenplay for this, he said that the biggest failing for this movie is that they introduced the concept of a daughter when that was like the 18th book or something. Mm. So we weren't super invested in Jack Reacher. So why the fuck would we care that he has a daughter? I just want to say real quick, because I love me boy McCrory. (laughs) I interviewed him (laughs) once. He was super lovely. Very insightful filmmaker. (laughs) Like truly, like really fascinating guy. Really knows his shit. So he's not credited as a writer on this. There's three credits, Richard Wank, Edward Zick, and Marshall Herskovitz, who, if you don't know who Marshall Herskovitz is, he'd done Last Samurai and a few other bits and bobs. Importantly, he's also the screenwriter of I Am Sam, which is truly everything you need to know. But Macquarie was the EP on this. And so as part of like being the EP, you get a, you get like a executive producer pass, if you will. But that was just one of the things that I immediately noticed is because I feel like one of the reasons Jack Reacher 2012 film 
feels weird to say that or like Jack Rachel one is so good is because Christopher Macquarie is the sole credited screenwriter and he's also the director mm. and the producer or whatever and I think there's just a lot of things that happen in this movie that I was just like I don't know if Macquarie would have fallen into these traps if his past work is anything to go by but yeah it was something that stuck with me is that yeah I don't care about this daughter I didn't, I didn't mm. care much for the actress who plays no, Samantha neither. and yeah I don't give a shit and then basically <laughs> big massive spoiler in the end turns out she's almost definitely not his which daughter which was so obvious as well like because that was, it was just <laughs> which, his, he only thought it because she was a bit sneaky and kind of made similar decisions to what he'd make I'm like what that's not a- I know that's just so funny ice wide blonde hair <laughs> No, there's like there's other stuff as like because that supporting cast I think is one of the other weaknesses of the film right Elders Hodge who in my opinion invented wearing pants like pants have never looked as good as they do on Elders Hodge's body but (laughs) Colby Kobe I keep starting to say Colby Kobe Smulders, yeah. Holt McKelly, as much as I love him, and Elders Hodge, and the hunter guy, whatever, he's fine, he's got a nice face and shit. They're fine. They're all perfectly fine and they're perfectly serviceable. But again, to compare and contrast to the first film, which is the whole point if you have a sequel, it's really hard to go up against Rosamund Pike, like truly one of the great actresses of her generation working right now. Jai Courtney, the best performance he's ever done in a largely dialogue-less role. He's never been better still to this day than he he was playing that fucking sort of like silent, scary offsider. Werner Herzog, absolutely bizarre, out of the box casting, and like Richard Jenkins and David Oyelowo, like that's just insane. Let alone those minor, minor parts, like fucking Robert Duvall as the like the gunny who comes in later, and like mm. the Sandy chick, like she's she's just like a bit player who's like on the come up. She's really good. There's this other Aussie guy called Josh Hellman who's um he played he's like played lots of things. He's in the X Men franchise, but he's one one of the guys at the bar, but he's most famous for um, Mamex Fury Road. He plays the Nux's like best friend, if that makes sense. If if you could oh. call them friends, yeah. So yeah. that guy. So this, and he's also in Animal Kingdom and a few other like bits and bobs. But the bank of people in that first film are so good. Like the the B cast and then the C cast. Like no no parts are wasted. Even I always mm. think of the bus stop scene where you have the side shuffling and like the guy gives him his hat and the other people cover like you know walk and front of him to hide where he is physically that's a kind of throwaway scene those people don't need to be as good as they are but they're so good like every mm. single person even the the doofus dudes who are like having the fight and they keep knocking each other out in the house like i don't know just every bit player really there was just no wasted casting and then it got to this and i was like oh fuck me there's just a, a few parts that i would have maybe thought about differently or maybe it was a time thing you know that's that's who's available and who they can access but well Watching the, uh, like, just before we did this, I was watching a lot of the behind the scenes uh, mm-hmm. stuff because I've got the Blu ray. Apparently, not a very big budget. And I don't know how much time um, was a problem. But yeah, apparently, budget was a big deal for them. So that's why everything's pretty much everything is filmed in New Orleans, including all the DC stuff. Like when they're running, it's just a park and they just CGI'd in all the buildings. So they just didn't have the money to, I guess, to have any good actors. <laughs> but the thing that's so crazy about that is they had an additional 36 million compared to the first film. Like the the budget for this is like ninety six million, and what? the first I didn't even look that up. Are you kidding me? Why were they blaming the budget then? <laughs> well, this is the thing. So the budget's ninety six million for this one. The budget for the first one is sixty million, 
million, which is actually like for the kind of film this is expensive, but 60 million for Jack Reacher one, every single cent of that's really going to the cast because of that. Not just Tom, obviously, but he would, he would take less money to be given points on the back end or whatever. But it's because like the next 10 people are all notable and have deep banks of work. So it's just Mm. like, fuck, they got an additional $36 million for the sequel, which on its own, even if you didn't have the other 60 million in like a hundred million dollars for a movie like this is insane. Insane. You don't Mm. make a, a, like a a C grade superhero movie. It's like birds of prey. Birds of Prey is a movie that gets made for like 50, 60 million dollars. Are you fucking crazy? You're telling me this this cost almost double Birds of Prey? That's nuts to me. I didn't have a chance to look that up and I'm shook and furious that they were blaming money reasons. Imagine okay. being like, imagine having 96 million dollars to make a movie and, be, <laughs> and being like, yeah, you know, it's just really tough. Hey, we're just all out here grinding, um, just making it work day to day, however we can. It's like, holy shit. People, for 9 million million dollars i feel you but for fucking 96 absolutely jesus wild. that's a, wild that's wild well you successfully make me want to go rewatch the first one and then go punch <laughs> the second one in the face now so sorry <laughs> i don't want to push my agenda nah <laughs> that's what i will say jack reacher one compare again to compare and contrast i think i would say the definitive reason but it has a real outside of tom cruise fans like people who are not ride or die cruise heads if you will they really love that film almost in spite of him but in particular in like film worlds people really appreciate that movie or at least the appreciation of that movie stems from like a lot of weird choices that are extremely unconventional for a hollywood action movie that has arguably the most famous movie star of the past 40 years in it and Mm. the biggest one is the opening 12 minutes are completely dialogue free there's like not a single word spoken and Mm. i often hear that that opening sort of it's a it's a montage i guess you could say mentioned a lot and referenced a lot conversationally with people or like used as a reference point like oh blah 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 like jack reacher oh man how good was that yada yada jack reacher and then on youtube there's all these videos that are breaking down that scene and all the things that it has and and then like the conversion of like what was on the page and what was filmed and how that works and blah, blah, blah. But it was just such an unconventional and really restrained choice for a film mm-hmm. that is, and a genre that is the complete opposite of that, that I think when I came to the second one, which maybe if the first one hadn't been so good, in my personal opinion, I wouldn't have been as disappointed with this, but I was expecting some of those choices, you know, like I was expecting mm. some really smart, clever, interesting little flips on the genre and a certain way that just didn't exist you know and I, th- I think that's like that's what you get from an absence of Christopher McQuarrie like he we've seen what he's done with the Mission Impossible movies you know he's mm. basically reinvigorated the spy genre and changed the conventions of like what it could be Edge of Tomorrow another film that I think is like one of Tom Cruise's best movies is a is a, <laughs> a Christopher McQuarrie toy I'm laughing because I was just about to be like and The Mummy which I love but people hate I don't know why people hate that movie as much as they do. I, I know, people are assholes. I can, I can see why. Like, there's some things, when I approach it as a Tom Cruise fan now, I'm like, yeah, this isn't, there's some things that aren't great, but I'm like, it's mm. still really fun. Like, it's still. Well, you know, I have this whole theory about what fucked that film, and it was the release of the trailer first that had the ADR switch up. So if you don't yeah. know, like, for those listening, you're like, what do you mean? When the first trailer for The Mummy came out, somebody got fired over this. It was a whole thing. There's a really good sort of, like, oral history history of this on Vulture and basically the trailer that gets put up does it hasn't been
mean sound mixed correctly. <laughs> so they have like uh, all these like weird like noises and blah, blah, blah. And the score's missing and yada, yada. But they have placeholder sound effects. So it gets to the bit at the end, which is like one of the really cool scenes of the movie, which, you know, they shot in like a anti-gravity chamber thingy. I don't know mm. the specific terms. Anyway, where the plane's going down and people are flying around everywhere. And the noises sound exactly like, and I'm going to do an impression, but this is 100% what it sounds like when you go back and watch it. They're like, no and like that's the first like they pulled it down but it didn't get pulled down fast enough like people had already downloaded it and saved it and shit and it was a huge news story for like that entire week fucking twitter was having a field day and thank god it was like before the age of tiktok because it just would have been like all over red rover but all of that to say i feel like that was so funny and such a dumb fucking like such a huge fuck up already for a movie where they were really trying to make you take a high concept a kind of a dumb premise seriously and if your Mm. first exposure if people's first exposure to that is a fucked up trailer then immediately it's it's like it was kind of too late from there it was really hard you're never going to get people back you're already trying to win them over and it's like nah not happening and the whole dark universe even though i was so stoked for a dark universe Mm, like it was too much it's too much like most people were like oh dark universe the movie hasn't even come out and you're already talking about this dark universe and you've already cast everyone and doing these fancy portrait photos of everyone i'm like uh everyone no one's gonna take kindly to this like everyone's gonna be it's also the fucking the sidebar-y bit of like the first shared cinematic universe which is a big selling point these days everyone wants a fucking shared cinematic universe is the universal movie monsters right they crossed over into Mm. each other's films it was like shared world shared world building you had actors and crew members working on you know each of the different ones blah 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 so there's a legacy there for it but they did put out this trailer for the dark universe which was basically looking back at the history of the universal movie monsters that it's my favorite thing in the world universal movie monsters films world Mm. building design everything so i was really moved and really touched by it and was really caught up in that whole world and like just was extremely invested and so it was really heartbreaking on a professional level because i had been they were doing these things in hollywood they will do these it's not like a hollywood thing it's a whatever it's just like this is how they fucking do it now for transformers bumblebee for instance that film came out of a transformers writers room where you put writers together and everyone just like fucking spitballs and comes up with ideas marvel do them in-house of the super secret but that's kind of like where guardians of the galaxy came from it's these sort of like writers room scenarios and so mm. i had been hired on a dark universe writers room that was kicking off after the mummy and while bride of frankenstein was in pre-production in london with bill condon at pinewood studios and it was like the job of my lifetime genuinely my dream come true i couldn't believe it so excited i'm gonna get to work oh my god this is so amazing signed the contract and i think i signed the contract on a thursday and by the monday the whole dark universe was dead Oh, that's so fucked. So the whole thing was just like, it was absolutely, I was just like, oh, fuck. And it was like, it was so early in my screenwriting career. Well, say, what was it? 2017, 2018. Anyway, whatever. It's like many years now and it's just like, oh, shit, like that happens all the time. It's not actually that special or interesting. But at that point in my career, it was just like getting punched in the tit for fucking 
24 hours. I was so crushed. And it was so heartbreaking to see all these people being like online, especially being like, ah, ha, 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 suck shit, duck universe. This is what you get. Bah, 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 bah. And I was just like, there could have been something really special here. And I think you see yeah. that with Lee Winnell and what he did with Invisible Man and what they will mm. do with Wolfman, hopefully, um, the Ryan Gosling joint. But it was just like, oh, it was it just like, I, I cried over it. Genuinely cried over it. No, you should, I, I want to cry for you. That's <laughs> like, even without your, and like how much I know that you love Universal Monsters, mm. like that in itself sounded like a really fun job. And then it's like, and so we cool. fucked it. Sorry. It would have been so cool. See you later. And you yeah. just never know too from those jobs because honestly, like most writers' room gigs, you you do it for the you know whatever they hire you for a specific thing, blah blah blah. But the work that you pick up from a writers' room because of the producers you're exposed to or the other writers that you're exposed to leads down all these interesting, squirrely little different paths. And mm. you know you get to that point eventually, kind of anyway. If you're if you have a very specific brand and you're chasing specific things, but it was just it, yeah, I don't know. It was really it was kind of like the earth is is about to explode and you're like racing for the fucking last rocket that's about to go like to i don't know yep. non-earth planet and you just miss it and you're like ah and it's just like flying off into the distance as you're trying and to it burns your hand run. as you're reaching out to it you're like no oh fuck <laughs> that's kind of what it feels like anyway that was really off topic from jack reacher but there you go that was fascinating this is why i got you on here maria um this is i could just do an entire podcast dedicated to things maria knows about the film industry that i didn't know about and there's another one about all the shit I don't know but <laughs> <laughs> as far as the movie goes they end up in New Orleans they're basically chasing a, mm. this one guy who was a witness to some of the dodgy shit happening over in Afghanistan with this uh, military contractor Parasource and they go and try and find him there's I found it really fun just the running through the airport mm. because you don't see too many airport chase scenes and nah. I was thinking about that the other day, actually, because I was so random re-watching Red Sparrow, the uh, universally reviled um, Jennifer Lawrence spy movie. Mm, I have not seen that yet. Uh, to be honest with you, really enjoy it. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> there's like 86 problematic things with it and a whole bunch of stuff and a sex scene with underpants on that really fucking frustrates me. But there is a, a really kind of like one of the big sort of crescendos. I'm trying to talk and I cannot do it. There's a really big moment in an airport where Joel Edgerton's character is kind of in pursuit of her and it's happens they I think they're filming it in the film it's supposed to be Heathrow but eyeballing it I was like I don't know if they're actually filming at Heathrow it kind of looks a little bit more like Gatwick airport which would be easy to film in but mm. it was such a cool scene and so tense and I was just like you just very rarely ever see that and even the like New Orleans stuff is kind of really cool too because that felt like a real throwback to me like I don't know if you were a big John Grisham fan but Lee Child John Grisham you know kind of head-to-head sort of through the 90s writing different types of books but they were mm. frequent regular big sellers right quite competitive but yep. in the 90s and to link it to Tom Cruise and the firm every nine to 12 months there was a new John Grisham thing getting made for literally 12 years just like every single year in cinemas and then there'd also be shit happening on screen simultaneously it was like a whole bit like the Susan Sarandon movie The Client for instance like gets made for television and like the firms had like two or three television remakes anyway but that was such a, a beat of John Grisham stuff in the 90s those John Grisham type sort of like political intrigue which is this Jack Reacher's way more political intrigue than the first film they mm. always had these big exterior scenes and shots in New Orleans and like New Orleans was always such a big feat 
future. There's a really cool, like Stanley Tucci is about to kill Julia Roberts in the Pelican Brief and they're doing it in daylight at this kind of like daytime carnival thing. And it's just like, uh, there was lots of stuff like that when I was watching this and I was like, oh, that kind of, I wonder if these people are John Grisham fans or like if that's kind of a little wink to that era of film because those kind of movies don't get made anymore. The closest you kind of got to it is the film adaptation of the really great British miniseries State of Play. And that's sort of, again, military contractor. And that's kind of like as close as you get. They just don't make those sort of movies anymore. Which is kind of funny that you don't see much in New Orleans as well, considering how many films actually get made down there mm. as well. Like the film So much TV huge. too. Like, yeah. you know, all the Vampire Diaries, originals, like legacies, all of those, like any teen who's like been bitten by something at some point is like <laughs> that show's filming in New Orleans. <laughs> and famously, the very wonderful Interview with the Vampire, which Tom Cruise in one of the things was like, the last thing he shot there was Interview with the Vampire. And I was like, oh, yes, I forgot about that <laughs> momentarily. Did you, this is off topic, but also interesting. Did you see that there's been a lot of like discourse at the moment about Kiki Dunst and in the lead up to sort of Power of the Dog being in contention for not only Best Picture and all that shit, but her having a real shot at Best Actress and maybe scoring her first nomination, which she should have got for Melancholia and Marie Antoinette, but whatever. Anyway, she was doing this interview about auditioning for Interview with a Vampire and talking about how like everybody, every kid actor was going out for that part and it gets to the final audition and it's like 10 girls and Tom Cruise and so it was like a chemistry read right so he has to pick up each of the girls and like do these little scenes with him and whatever and it's like you know some of it's scripted some of it's like just to see if the kids can you know react on their feet anyway of all the girls she's the tallest and they were looking for an actress that was like looked young you know like because that's the whole character is sort of supposed to be this angelic slash evil dull thing so Tom Cruise picks her up to do the scene and he whispers to her he's like tuck, tuck your legs in tuck your legs in. So he was like getting her to tuck her legs in so that she could appear shorter when he was carrying her around because she was his favorite and he wanted her to get the part. Aww, that's so cute. Super cute. <laughs> super cute. Imagine being that role. Like that feels like the role of a lifetime. Like how many people think of that movie and specifically think of the it's character? The, like it's like the signature child actor role because you're actually getting to a do something. Two, it was like the start of her career. A lot of people don't necessarily think of her as a child actor because she has very quickly and kind of always debunked the stereotype that comes with child acting that people think of you know oh they're messy they have a breakdown blah 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 and it's like motherfucker she was consistently working and consistently mm. like just fucking chopping it up from like age six and seven onwards like Scarlett Johansson and it's just because she kind of like isn't very flashy in terms of like she just gets her work done and moves on to the next thing that mm. I feel like a lot of times she gets overlooked both before performance-wise and just genuinely like it's it's such a good kid role like she's so good in that truly one of her best so the whole New Orleans thing so set of Halloween so on a Halloween night is when the I big chase that. happens yeah and she runs dope. through the big parade when I was watching this movie, I was like I'm so pissed off when I've, I've been to New Orleans once it was only for mm. a few days and we went on November 1st mm. and we'd spent the 31st Halloween in yeah. Las Vegas and it was crap like we missed yeah. out on the parade there because we had something else booked and then we got to New Orleans and I'm like 
why the fuck was I not here? I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know that they actually had big <laughs> Halloween parades too. I'm like, what a fucking waste. So that scene pisses me off for very personal reasons. But it was very <laughs> fun, and I love all the big, all the props and all the big, huge masks that they were specially made, and every, all the extras of people who were just like, hell yeah, we'll pretend it's Halloween. Yeah, I love a Halloween set piece in a film. Like I just fucking absolutely love to see it. Yeah, and you don't see it very often, really. You don't, and because you know why? Because it's expensive. Not only do you have to physically deck out all the sets and everything like that, blah, blah, blah. But you have to make sure every extra and how many extras you have in a scene that everyone is in a proper costume and that aesthetically matches whatever your Halloween palette is. So in terms yeah. of like a time and cost effect thing, and um, I mean, they only had $96 million to make this movie. So they were really <laughs> scraping fucking pennies together. But it is one of those things that it's just like, it's a time suck. So people would just rather skip it, you know? I did notice, especially this time watching it, everyone, there's like, I don't know what the term is, the actual score music playing mm. and then you can hear all the people like cheering and they're all dancing and I'm like mm. but what are they dancing to like yeah uh, <laughs> made me laugh a lot like oh come on could you not have used the ambient music as part of the music of the movie no no we have to have fancy score music I know. Like, oh that was yeah that was a bit cringe anyway they, they have this big chase scene and basically the hunter even though it's all been resolved like Susan Turner figures out that they were actually using weapons to import opium from Afghanistan and there's a nice big dramatic scene where they re- do a big reveal. She thinks they're doing black market sales of weapons in the Middle East to insurgents, but all the guns are accounted for. And then that's when Jack reaches like, wait a minute, and bashes one of the fucking grenade launchers open and it's full of all the opium comes tumbling mm. out. So Classic. that's all resolved. <laughs> <laughs> but the hunter is like, you fucking crossed me, mate. And so I'm going to bash up the daughter. May or may not be yours. And sometimes I'm going to get gonna you. let it out, you know, and if there's yeah. a 14 year old semi good actress nearby that's where the story is going and you're gonna chase her around and mur- just fucking murder her uh so they had they, they get to have the big chase scene through the uh french quarter in new orleans which is one of the most beautiful places i've ever been to in my life and you know i find that bit fun maybe that's why i like this movie so much i get to see new orleans i don't know and there's halloween involved i was like oh yes this is directly my uh i'm the target like, here my favorite time of the year is jack reacher never go back hashtag 31 days of halloween like <laughs> Truly. Jack Reacher and the Hunter have a nice, like, really intimate fight. They're very tired by this point, so it's a very, like, sloppy, tired fight. And Jack Reacher, I think he snaps the Hunter's neck twice, like, from front and back. Yeah, did a really good job. Really thorough job. And... Yeah, Turner's name is cleared. They are all like pretty stoked with themselves. And we find out then that Jack Reacher is not Samantha's mother because he encounters Samantha's mother, which is all set up by Samantha. And because he said, I remember every woman that I sleep with. And so she's like, well, that woman <sighs> served you coffee like three times. So you, if you didn't recognize her. I mean, I guess they like do weave that into the story, you know, that he has like borderline photographic memory and all that kind yeah. of shit. But it's just the way that it's said is I'm just like... Come on. Really? Like, who fucking remembers every person they slept with? You know what I mean? Also, maybe he needed to see her naked to, I don't know, to know. Maybe he doesn't remember the face. Maybe he remembers maybe the Maybe she has, like, a... <laughs> Maybe she has like a big old fucking birthmark that's like Jack Rachel was here. And he's like, oh, my God, that's right. I was. I totally forgot. <laughs> I did do a big cum in her pussy. Yeah, I was, I was going to say that. But I was like, nah, she got mad the first time. Walk it back. <laughs> no. 
please <laughs> be as vulgar as you like. Okay, that's the movie. If you wanted to hear more about the movie, you're just going to have to fucking watch it. Like I said, I enjoy it at a very base level. Like I, I find it enjoyable. I think to go into why I think I like this one more than the first one is... I detest the character of Jack Reacher. Mm. I find I I couldn't I can't read the books because the whole just the thought of him pisses me off the fact that everyone was so mad that Tom Cruise Mm. got cast because he's not tall enough I'm like Mm. being tall isn't a personality trait I don't know why people are so fucking hung up on this nah and it's also this is this is the deal right like I have this theory that there are oftentimes people confuse being a great movie star for being a great actor and like they're different things sometimes you get a rare beast like a, a Margot Robbie for instance who is both a good actor and a good movie star. Tom Cruise is a great movie star and great movie stars shine so bright that oftentimes you're blinded to the things they're not so great at. Magnolia mm. is what I'm talking about specifically. Tame the pussy. But um, if the difference between this character that you love existing on the big screen is Tom Cruise being cast as him or the thing doesn't get fucking made, what would you want? Because I sure as shit know that if I loved a thing, I'm like, oh damn, he's six six in the book, but I said it's so Kiwi that he's six six in the book, but Tom Cruise is short. But it's like, okay, but like, would you just rather it not exist? Because if you bring Tom Cruise to the project, A, you know it's gonna get fucking made. He's very selective with the things that he chooses to do. He also mm-hmm. produces everything that he's in at this point. So you know that the production's gonna be of a certain quality, and because it's Tom Cruise, there's gonna be X amount of eyeballs on it. So it's the best shot you fucking possibly have of getting to see of as many people as possible, getting to see the thing that you love the other thing is there's other traits to jack reacher and other qualities that i would they feel are much more important to imbue than whether this person is as vertically similar as a fucking character from a book like mm. does he have that command that smart assness that kind of like shade of malice you know that threat that sort of like underlines everything like that's the shit that a tom cruise movie star brings to it rather yeah. than like oh cool so we cast chris hemsworth because he's tall and shit and i'm like yeah but i don't know if chris hemsworth can carry this movie chris hemsworth has very specific skills that work great for him but he can't be fucking jack reacher so you either get the height or you get a good movie and those are your choices i just like everyone needs to shut the fuck up about it (laughs) i get so annoyed of a shit like that i was like do you not want to see it i don't understand they're like oh the rock should have been in it we're like well the rock's not in it so you take the movie that you're given or you you can't have a character of color playing this white man you know like no. give give the rock his own movie franchise like he has 86 different ones of them like the rocks is fucking busy he hasn't got time for your bullshit but at the same time <laughs> like all of these things that are wrapped up and make jack reacher who he is the whole fucking character changes if it's a person of color you know like mm. the whole dynamic completely changes and the way he operates changes and the way he navigates through the military in the world changes so then suddenly yeah. it's not jack reacher anymore but you got your height thing like oh no yeah. thank you Dumb. Yeah, it's ridiculous People are dumb. Overall, just based on these two movies, I don't like the character of Jack Reacher. Like, yeah. I, I get why he was an asshole in the first movie. Like, I, at a base level, understand why he's the way he is. I just don't like it. I just don't like that character. And I feel like he was less horrible in the second one. Like, mm. I, he, he wasn't fucking bashing first, asking questions later, as he was in the first movie. And I know that's Jack Reacher's whole thing. I just don't like it. And so I liked how he was a bit more chilled out in the second one. And so I enjoyed it a little bit more for that reason. Maybe, yeah, like I said, maybe it's just the fucking neural stuff 
stuff uh, mm. gives me a thrill and that's why I like it. I actually can't work out why I like one more than the other and you've given me a lot to think about and <laughs> I'm going to go watch the first one again and try and look at it through a less critical, less personal lens and more right. of a like a filmy lens. I struggle with that. Like I, everything yeah. I watch is through how I, Cara Westworth, see the world. And But it's also, I think that's a good way to view things too. Like sometimes, like Red Sparrow, I know objectively, bad movie, but I fucking really enjoy it. I, I'm yeah. just like, I love it. I rewatch it all the time. Like it's really enjoyable. Jack Reacher, I rewatch all the time, but I know it's a, gen- and it's one of those films too that's been a real like grower, not a shower. Like when the first Jack Reacher movie came out, people were like, ah, it's fine, I guess. Like I'm a bit surprised Tom Cruise is dedicating his time to something like quite suburban. Anyway, fast forward like literally a decade and the regard that that first film is held in is completely different. It's considered like a bit of a fucking masterwork for that kind of movie in that sort of like subgenre threshold. You know, there's just Mm. so much shit in it that's so clever from the screenplay to the interactions between the characters to some of the action set pieces to really understanding the talents of every single person you've cast in that film and what their strengths and what their weaknesses are. Like, I don't know if every Everyone is anyone has ever better utilized Jai Courtney in a thing ever than they have. Like he's fine as Captain Boomerang, whatever. But he's pretty so good as Captain Boomerang. <laughs> yeah, totally. But that first film, I'm like, we have, we never got to see him be that good again. You know, it was just mm. like I totally get why people had been trying to make Jai Courtney happen for a decade because he's just so like Jack reaches his first thing and you're like, fuck, this guy is good, and I still believe he is good. I just think he hasn't made the best choices. Maybe we haven't gone to this movie very much. I guess we'll just quickly talk about the what do you call them Tom Cruise-isms Tom Cruise does all his own stunts uh, mm. Kobe Smulders does all her own stunts too mm. um, we're watching them all do, do all the stunts and the stunt directors were like well I could try and get someone else to do the stunts but no one can do them better than Tom Cruise so just let Tom Cruise do them so yeah just Tom Cruise doing all his own stunts as usual we, we're past the point where that surprises anyone anymore I hope although sometimes I have like clients and stuff like Tom Cruise does all these own stunts I'm like where the fuck have you been <laughs> have you not seen him sitting on a <laughs> fucking skyscraper in Dubai? Where are you? <laughs> what the hell? You don't have to like Tom Cruise to know this. This is the first Jack Reacher movie where he actually runs. In the first one, no running. The compromise is we didn't get a sick car chase scene like Ugh, in the first that movie. Car that car chase was so dope. <laughs> so good. So and good. honestly, in that first movie, one of my favourite things is at the end of the car chase where how he gets out the car and just yeah. runs into walks, the crowd. Just walks yeah. off. Again, like, and one of the things that's so cool and then completely fucking undermined in this film is like he really shows an under understanding of civilian behavior and the contact mm. conduct of like how you work and operate in a certain space. If he was running in that scene, he looks immediately obvious and it's nighttime. So you walk towards where everyone else is, you blend in, you be cool, you blah, blah, blah. And that's hard cut to this movie. He's like, I guess sprinting in daylight will keep me unawares. I'm like, Oh, did you learn nothing? <laughs> yeah. Did you get a head injury and forgot everything that he's ever learned in the military? Seriously. <laughs> Oh dear. As for other Tom Cruise-isms, there's not really any others. Like there's no, at no point does Jack Reacher get drunk and have his little monologue. He doesn't do any of the Tom, the specific Tom Cruise-isms of him being like laughing and showing that toothy grin of his. Mm. I don't feel like Jack Reacher's a super Tom Cruise-y character. There's the whole smartest man in the room thing, which I always associate as being very Tom Cruise-y. Like That's he a good often, one. I, yeah. yeah, like the firm and stuff like that. Like he often satisfies, not satisfies, 
butterflies. That's not the right word. But he like, he sort of scratches that itch a lot with his roles. It's like, he's always the guy who like knows more or knows more than everyone else or like has a thing. He's like the wonderkind. Like he played yeah. that type of role a lot early in his like Maverick, you know, you see in Top Gun yeah. and just even like shit like Cocktail and just, just all those sort of like early roles in the 80s and 90s. Well, let's just say the 80s. And then even Mission Impossible, like he's always the best, the chosen yeah. one, the smart one, et cetera, et cetera. The only time is like a sort of War of the Worlds, which I think is one of the really jarring, like whenever he tries to play a piece of shit, it never quite works because it mm. is so far. And that's also kind of the same thing with The Mummy is he like plays a, a character. Who's like some, yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think because his public persona is very much like, I do all my own stunts. I'm the best at this. I'm the best at that. Don't look at the Zenu stuff over here. Look at me doing all this other cool <laughs> shit. I'll show up for my red carpets an hour and a half before everyone else to sign and film and do whatever for everything that he's ever made because I'm a fucking professional movie star and like that's the job. But anytime he's not playing a sort of like a, a version of that ascent or an undertone of that, I think the audience struggles to connect with the characters in the same way. Oh, definitely. Like even though I love War of the Worlds today. Same. Like, it's genuinely terrifying. It, it is like, jar- a little bit jarring where he's just a no-hoper dad. Who... Just a no-hoper dad. And, they, and also the one thing that they set up at the start of that movie is that he's really good at being a crane operator and he never gets to use that. Like there was never a point where they're like, we're going to make him do some fucking cool crane operating shit. Yeah, I was getting gonna... ready for like an alien, like get away from her, you bitch thing. Like I don't know how yeah. cranes work, but like give me something <laughs> like that, you know, like him in an alien crane doing crane shit. Yeah, uh, th- that would have been perfect. That would have sort of explained, like, I don't know, fixed that little bit of a problem with Tom Cruise not being a good dead shit dad. But <laughs> apart from that, still a wonderful film. I mean, minor gripes. Yeah, some, some gripes, um, <laughs> as I've discussed in my podcast at length. All right, so as I said, I really do like this movie a bit more than the first movie but I still don't rate it that highly I'm actually only going to give it two and a half internet cafes in Washington DC out of five I'm only giving it two and a half because I gave the first one two and I feel like I have to talk about hyping it up as being the better film um what about you so I would do two running through New Orleans on Halloween out of fives when I heard your like what you rated I was like fuck should I go lower but genuinely like there's a lot of technical stuff that's really good in this film just you know not necessarily stuff I vibe with so you know yeah Two foot pursuits on All Hallows Eve um, out of five. Feels right. Feels perfect. Mm. Absolutely wonderful. Well, that's us for kind of reviewing Jack Reacher 2 and yeah. kind of talking about other shit. Go see the movie if you're curious or don't. Just listen to this podcast and <laughs> fuck all those movies off if you want. I don't care. I'm not your mum. Marie, where can we find you online? Um, so you can find me on Instagram as Marie Lewis and you can find me on Twitter as Marie Lewis. I'm not on Twitter so much because it's an absolute hellhole. Um, but you can read any one of my books. There is seven of them and the eighth book comes out in April of 2022. It is the eighth and final book in my series. And um, yeah, that's that's me really. That's it. Oh, actually, no, wait. One other thing. You can listen to an audio documentary I made called Josie and the Podcats, which is mm-hmm. all about the 2001 cult film and its sort of journey to cult status. And it ties in sort of like the history of the comics code in America, Archie Comics, uh, the civil rights movement and there is another show coming up um, that will be released in I believe March of 2022 so keep an eye out for through Nova podcast called The Phantom Never Dies which is another audio documentary I've been working on about the first superhero The Phantom 
Fuck yes. Uh, so if anything that you hate about this podcast, the unprofessionalism, um, the swearing, the, oh, the like uh, inconsistencies. Don't come to mind go. expecting any better because fucking Yo, baby girl loves the podcast to swear. Was- Tracy, the podcast was so like beautifully put together and professional, and I'm like, ah, yes, that must be what it's like to be a professional in any sense whatsoever. <laughs> Bless you, but also different types of shows. Like I say, audio documentary because that's really what it is. Like if you were yeah. closing your eyes and you would, you could see a documentary playing out. You know what I mean? It's like sourcing archive yeah. clips. This is a conversation show, baby. We're like we keep it loose, we keep it goose. Yes, we do. Uh, as for me, you can find me on Instagram, Tom Cruise Reviews, on Twitter, Tom Cruise Review, no S on the end or everything else is on TomCruiseReviews.com. Uh, it's been my pleasure having you on the podcast, Maria. It's been so good to be here. Thanks for, thanks for having me on for a Tom Cruise movie I absolutely hate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we fucking figured it out. Uh, we did. And thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time.